Welcome to a new episode of American Hauntings that is about to get really weird. The next two episodes are shows that I've been waiting to do, and they'll both be hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor, which is me. This will be the first of two Holly Weird episodes of the season, which of course still has a ways to go. But for 15 episodes, we've been taking you behind the locked doors and down the dirty back alleys of Hollywood, the movie capital of the world. A place that's supposed to be all about palm trees, swimming pools, and movie stars. But if you've wanted murder, myths, cranks, kooks, lunatics, and killers, we've had that too, in spades. And for this show and the next, well, I think kooks and lunatics are going to be sort of taking things over. But if you want to know how we got to this place, I'd suggest going back to the start of the season, which began with episode 70. I won't even pretend to know where it's going to end, but it's going to be a bumpy ride to get there. And with that said, remember that the episodes in the season are definitely not suitable for all listeners. If you continue on from here, well, there's no turning back. So put on your choir robe, shake your tambourine, handle a snake or two, and get ready for the weirdest episode of American Hauntings so far. At some point around 1510, a Spanish mystic and writer named Garcia Rodriguez de Montalvo wrote about a man named Amadas of Gaul and his wanderings and exploits on an island called California, which was located somewhere, quote, west of the Indies. He described it as a paradise on earth, a place where gold lay on the ground for the taking, fruit grew from every tree, and women far outnumbered the men. Well, this story, not surprisingly, motivated many Spanish explorers, including Hernando Cortez, to seek out these magical lands in the West. They were seeking paradise, just like the millions of others who followed in their footsteps over the century. And those footsteps led to California. When you hear the word cult, do you imagine a group of beautiful young people dancing trance-like in the sunshine? Do you assume that a lot of them are aspiring actors who lost their compasses, took a wrong turn at the beach, and wound up in an orgy? Well, if you do think that, you're not alone. The idea has been burned into our collective subconscious. When the public thinks of cults, it thinks of L.A. and Southern California. I mean, some of the most famous ones in American history have called Southern California home. The Children of God, Heaven's Gate, the People's Temple, the Manson family. And depending on who's defining the word cult, Scientology. While experts will tell you that terrifying and destructive cults can be anywhere, there's a strong connection between Southern California and cults. But not because Southern Californians want what cults offer. Instead, they're systematically and aggressively targeted for recruitment because cults badly want what Southern California offers. Historically, if you wanted to sell something new to a bunch of rich people, you went to California. By the early 20th century, the gold rush and Hollywood had made the state synonymous with cash. And while the East Coast was dominated by established European religions, California in the early days was largely church-free. This made the area appealing to the founders of new religious movements and cults. California became a target for con artists starting movements that were less about religion and more about coercing their followers into giving them money and sex. And if you want to steal even more money, you need a stronger recruitment tactic, which means celebrities, which 
by the early 1900s, Los Angeles already had plenty of. Recruiting from the Hollywood community and targeting the wealthy people associated with it became such a foolproof plan that cults often opened branches in LA after starting somewhere else. I mean, Heaven's Gate started in New Mexico while Jim Jones began the People's Temple in Indiana, but both of them eventually moved their operations to California. Southern California earned its reputation as a haven for paradise seekers, and it witnessed a tidal wave of cults and communes in the early days of Hollywood, more than anywhere else in the world, in fact, eventually creating one of the strangest collections of people in history. In the early 1900s, Los Angeles and Hollywood became a favorite topic for preachers' sermons across the country. They were the modern American version of Sodom and Gomorrah, those two biblical cities destroyed by God because they had been so wicked. But such descriptions backfired. This became a draw for people in the 1920s, that great period of excess, abandonment, and experimentation. This was the time of the lost generation of young adults who had been traumatized by the horrors of the Great War and would become cynical about the values of their parents and grandparents, the people responsible for starting that terrible war in the first place. Well, people came to Southern California looking for a new life. Believing that the old traditions and values had failed them, they sought liberation from what they had been taught and now wanted something new. They came west to the place where the new motion picture industry was busy showing people that magic was possible, and they became easy prey for the cults, kooks, and fanatics of the fringe element who followed them to the land of sunshine. The film stars of the 1920s immersed themselves in the occult, paving the way for the seekers that followed in their wake. According to a newspaper reporter that visited one of the studios, quote, hundreds of performers are more than passingly interested in necromancy, superstition, and prognostication in general. He noted that seers, pomace, crystal gazers, and trance mediums were everywhere. Many actors he claimed paid annual fees to astrologers so they could be kept informed of any planetary changes that might affect their careers. Dr. Lewis Brown, a religious scholar who lived in Santa Monica, noted in 1929 that, quote, the world is full of primitive minds. He'd been asked to explain why men and women of the era were so easily drawn to unorthodox pagan and primitive religious practices. Brown found the region to be a fruitful field for his studies of religious movements, and he estimated there were at least 400 cults active in Southern California in the late 1920s, with memberships numbering in the hundreds of thousands. They included, he said, notable groups like Seralda and Omar's Love Cult, also known as the Sacred Schools Cult, the Mazdazan Cult, the Magi Cult, and the Christian Church of Psychophophy, whatever that is. According to novelist Nathaniel West, who used the dark side of L.A. for atmosphere in several of his books and stories, some of the local cults included the Church Invisible, where fortunes were told, the Tabernacle of the Third Coming, where a woman in male clothing preached the crusade against salt, yes, salt, and the Temple Modern, where brain-breathing, the secret of the Aztecs, was taught. There were once so many cults in the city that a 1930 newspaper editorial complained that, quote, Los Angeles extends a welcome asylum to every cult of every kind that seeks to hide temporarily its ugly head until it can build sufficient strength to begin the spreading of its poisonous propaganda. The number of cults in Los Angeles are a standing joke the country over. And well, as you'll see, it's a reputation it kind of deserved. 
Decades before the hippie movement made free love an international phenomenon, love cults flourished all over Southern California. The first word of them appeared in the early 1920s and began making news a few years later, like one nest of love on Santee Street, where women were forced to, quote, speak in tongues, perform devil dances, and engage in soul mating with spiritual husbands. Another love cult, Helios, was the creation of Edith Lessing, who presided over a ramshackle compound of tents and shacks in Glassell Park, which she had renamed Mount Helios. Edith declared free love would replace marriage, believed in communal ownership of property, and boasted that she had control over more than 1,000 men. She was imprisoned in 1922 for sending obscene materials through the mail. In 1939, the high priestess Regina Cool captured the attention of the authorities when she was caught indoctrinating male students at LA City College with her Temple of Thelma. The temple was set up in the basement of one of the dorms, and there she would don robes, chant some suggestive passages from an Aleister Crowley book, and quote, embrace the power of the lifted lance. I'll let you decide what she meant by the lifted lance. In 1946, Henry King Daddy Newsom was arrested for running his own sex camp called Ten Oaks. According to newspaper reports, he molested 16 underage girls over the course of two years. In his defense, he claimed that he was teaching them the beauty of sexual intercourse. Several of the girls claimed that he controlled their minds through hypnosis. Guy Ballard started the I Am movement after arriving in LA during the Great Depression. His claim? That during a hike on Mount Shasta, he met a stranger named Saint Germain who wore a bejeweled robe and gave him the power to create wealth and energy. He had more than a million followers, and his books about St. Germain were bestsellers, hence the creation of wealth, for himself anyway. Purification by fire and Garden of Eden orgies were part of the activities of the House of Judah cult. Members prayed and chanted together in the nude and sacrificed lambs, which they burned alive, much to the horror of their neighbors. Bishop Wilbur Leroy Casper was arrested in 1926 and sentenced to six months in jail for violations of practicing medicine mixed with religion without a license. His cult, who gathered to wait for him outside the jail, were, quote, lightly clad dancers, major and minor deities, a scattering of archangels, and scores of uncostumed followers, mostly women. Well, they promised onlookers a resurrection day to celebrate their leader's eventual release. Margaret Rowan founded the Seventh-day Adventist mission, not to be confused with the Seventh-day Adventist church, and was adamant that the world would end on February 6, 1925. She drew an estimated 1,000 followers and a lot of publicity, but it turned out she was more successful as a self-promoter than as a prophet as everyone in L.A. discovered on February 7th. However, she did claim that one of her children was born as a result of, quote, delvings in the occult, mysterious experiments in mind control, and spiritual investigations, while she and her husband were members of the cult. Well, I should note that at the time of that interview, her husband was a patient at a state mental hospital, so you can judge for that however you'd like. Foreshadowing Scientology, a religion based on pulp writings by a science fiction author, was Mankind United, which was created by another science fiction writer named Arthur Bell. 
During the Depression, Bell wrote a book called Mankind United, a repetitive and pretty much awful volume filled with bold type and large blocks of capitalized text. It told the story of a malevolent conspiracy that ran the world, the hidden rulers and the money changers, who were not only responsible for war, poverty, and injustice, but who were also, wait for it, aliens living on the earth. Opposing them, though, was another group of aliens, the Sponsors, who had arrived on Earth in 1875. According to Bell, the benevolent Sponsors were shortly going to announce their presence and would put in place a worldwide utopia based on universal employment and a financial system based on credits. The workday would be for only four hours a day, four days a week. Now, needless to say, this sounded pretty good to the tired, worn out people who were struggling to put food on their tables. Well, in order for the sponsors to put their plan into place, they had to receive massive support from the people. The plan would be promoted by the, quote, Pacific Coast Division of North America International Registration Bureau, which was, of course, run by Arthur Bell. He announced that when 200 million people accepted the Mankind United plan, the sponsors would overthrow their rival alien groups and within 30 days, the new utopia would begin. Of course, there were no sponsors, no evil aliens, and no international bureau. The whole thing had been concocted by Bell and it never numbered more than a few thousand followers. The only beneficiary of the group was Bell, who had several luxurious apartments and mansions, including a swanky place on the Sunset Strip that had an indoor pool, a pipe organ, and a cocktail bar. Bell was spotted in all of the hottest nightclubs, freely spending the tax-free $50,000 he was making each year. His followers, on the other hand, worked in various cult businesses full-time, including hotels and shops. They were paid less than $40 a month and worked up to 16 hours a day, seven days a week, which was quite a bit more than the utopian work week that had been promised in Bell's book. While the cult gained the attention of the authorities during World War II, Bell incorporated as a church, which he called the Church of the Golden Rule, to obtain tax exemption and began making even more bizarre claims, such as the idea that he could be beamed to several different places at once and that the sponsors had advanced technology that allowed the dead to be resurrected on other planets. You'll be shocked to learn none of that was true either. The cult folded and faded away in 1951. In the 1950s, George King started the Atherius Society. He claimed he was in his apartment when an alien spoke to him and shared transmissions from an all-star cosmic dream team that included Jesus and Buddha. Setting up his headquarters in Hollywood, he gained a healthy following, promising to save the world using radionic energy that he gathered from Mount Baldy. A self-described clairvoyant and prophet, Southern-born Anne Re Colton blended Christianity with metaphysics and dream analysis to create what she called nigh science. In 1966, she built a compound in Glendale where visitors can hear recordings of her lectures on reincarnation, past lives, and ESP. Colton claimed to have once been a maiden in Atlantis. She died in 1984, and well, I don't know who she became the next time around, but her husband and co-founder hanged himself in 1991 after a lot of accusations came out that they had fleeced their followers. Well, the source wasn't just a Sunset Strip health food cafe, it was also Father Yod's tribal community of more than 100 white-robed seekers who moved into a Los Feliz mansion in 1972. 
some jammed in his rock band called Yahoo 13 and collected money for him. The cops called Yod, quote, part guru, part father, part pimp. He died in a hang gliding accident in 1975. Well, things started to get pretty dark in Hollywood and then across the country in the late 1960s. A surge of interest in the occult swept the nation, especially after the Hollywood film Rosemary's Baby. But sinister cults had already been around in Hollywood for a while. There had been devil-worshipping cults in California long before Anton LaVey founded the Church of Satan in California in 1969. Well, the Church of Satan doesn't actually worship Satan, but that's going to get us way off track, so let's just stick to L.A. A man named Makio Temin was murdered in Oakland in 1926. In his home, the police found books and manuals on the occult and prayers signed in blood. They also found a drawing of a cross at the base of a tree surrounded by hills with an eerie sun floating above them and cryptic symbols surrounding everything. The prayer written in blood began most powerful Lucifer and had asked for wisdom and strength to overcome his enemies. But <laughs> guessing that didn't work out for him. In 1930, a woman under police protection told newspaper reporters that she was so terrified of a devil cult she'd abandoned that she was afraid to say its name. Well, it was later discovered to be called Hickory Hall, which honestly doesn't really sound that scary, but there it is. The woman who was the priestess for the group, Mrs. Leach, dominated, and this is a quote, dominated the household mentally and physically. We could have no wills of our own, no thoughts except hers. When the former member had objected to cult children being spanked with sticks, she was bent over a chair and spanked by five cult members in retaliation. I gotta tell you, sometimes people pay good money for that kind of thing, but I'm gonna guess it wasn't working out for her. She later received a telegram from her former fellow cult members with a four-word message that only said, quote, we won't hurt you. Okay. Another cult with a sinister reputation was the Process Church of the Final Judgment which began to flourish in the 1960s and 70s. Its founders were an Englishman named Robert Moore, who later changed his name to Robert de Grimston, because I guess that sounded cooler, and Marianne McLean. It began as a splinter cult group from Scientology, and Moore and McLean were declared suppressive persons by L. Ron Hubbard in December 1965 and were kicked out of Scientology. Now, imagine how crazy you have to be for that to happen. Anyway, after bouncing around Mexico, they came back to L.A. and started the Process Church. Their peculiar theology stated that Jehovah, Christ, and Satan were not enemies, but all equal parts of creation. Satan had apparently patched things up with Jesus, and together they were going to show up at the end of the world and judge humanity. Jesus would separate the bad from the good, and Satan would bring down the final curtain on the earth. Like most cults, they recruited teenagers and young people, separating them from their friends and family and indoctrinating them into the group. De Grimston, who became known as The Teacher, and McLean, who became known as The Oracle, just had to keep everyone in line while they waited for the end of the world. The world didn't come to an end, but the 1960s did, and the Manson family murders were a big part of the reason the era of peace, love, and understanding came to a grinding halt. And Yes, we'll be talking about Charlie and the Girls very soon. A lot of writers would like to link Manson to the Process Church, but how much of that is true and how much was Charlie's usual bullshit is unknown. Regardless, by the early 1970s, the church was starting to fall apart. The cult started to get darker. 
a lot darker. They started wearing black robes, practicing animal sacrifices, and started using a swastika as an insignia. The Grimston was essentially turning the cult into Hollywood's version of devil worshipers, right out of the movie Race with the Devil. In addition, his increasing fascination with group sex and the importance of Satan in his writings alienated many members of the process church. And besides that, Satan kind of made fundraising a little difficult. Anyway, de Grimston was ousted from his own church in 1974, and a new group rose from the ashes called the Foundation Faith of the Millennium. The founders kept things going until the late 1970s, but by then, well, they were a little more than a newsletter. The David Son of Sam Berkowitz slayings of 1977 didn't help the Splinter Group, as both the process and a supposed satanic fringe group were implicated in the murders. This conspiracy theory was promoted by a book called The Ultimate Evil by Maury Terry, which was released at the height of the satanic panic movement in 1987. But there is no hard evidence the process had anything to do with Berkowitz or the Son of Sam murders, outside of Berkowitz's own confused and contradictory testimony. Remember, this is a guy who said he took directions from a dog. Anyway, for some reason, conspiracy buffs refuse to let this one go, as evidenced by the recent Netflix documentary. Just remember, though, that not everything you see on TV is true. As for Robert de Grimston, he tried to get the Process Church up and running again several times in the years that follow, but he can never replicate his initial success. For now, the Process Church of the Final Judgment remains a thing of the past. But not every sect that has its roots in Southern California had something sinister in the background. But there weren't very many of those, especially those that catered to the rich and famous that gained fame and fortune without some kind of scandal. The 1930s brought the Great Depression and a mass exodus of what were called Okies from the Dust Bowl region, hoping to make a new life in sunny California. No one knows how many of these people came west, hoping to find the glittering promise of the region, but the impact of these new arrivals, who were mostly poor white Protestants, was tremendous. A new wave of churches, cults, and sects sprang up in response. Simple, welcoming, and often fire and brimstone in theology, the new sects, along with the traditional churches of charismatic fervor, attracted huge followings. And a lot of them brought racism and white supremacy to the masses right along with God. Bob Schuler, or Fighting Bob as he became known, was a preacher from Virginia who arrived in Hollywood in 1920. He took over the congregation of a failing Methodist church in downtown LA and soon began offering attention-getting sermons that blamed everyone but his poor congregation for their problems. His message began to spread, appealing to the Okies, and soon his church attendance had increased to almost $3,000. Like many preachers at the time, he hated Catholics, Jews, Hollywood, movies, and the theory of evolution. He was also, again not surprisingly, a supporter of the Ku Klux Klan, which believed that it was necessary for white Protestant men to preserve their heritage, usually violently. 
Anyway, in 1926, a member of Schuler's congregation gave him his own radio station as a present, which started him on the road to becoming America's first broadcast evangelist. He began spreading his message to greater audiences, but it was not long before he went too far. He started attacking L.A. city officials, claiming the mayor was corrupt, the police chief was spying on him, the city council was letting Hollywood Jews put pornography in the movie houses, and the newspapers were conspiring against him by printing fake news. In 1929, Schuler spent 15 days in jail for claiming on his radio station that theater owner Alexander Pantages and his wife were going to bribe the juries in their upcoming trials. Pantages had been accused of raping a showgirl named Eunice Pringle, and his wife had been charged with drunk driving and manslaughter. I mean, it's Hollywood. That's like, I think that you have to do those things. Anyway, later that year, a Schuler congregation member and Klan supporter, John Porter, became mayor. And for a time, fighting Bob could do and say just about anything he wanted. In 1932, Schuler ran for U.S. Senate on the Prohibition ticket. After losing an earlier political run, Schuler had placed a curse on the entire state and then took credit for several subsequent earthquakes that happened in L.A., his predictions of dire catastrophes if he lost again were not enough to sway the voters, though. He came in second to Woodrow Wilson's son-in-law, William McAdoo. Schuler's popularity began to fade, and newspaper magnate William Randolph Hearst finally did something decent and made Schuler his personal hobby. He reportedly spent $1 million in efforts to destroy Schuler's ministry. It wasn't long before the FCC took his radio license away from him, calling Schuler a public menace. A magazine that he edited promoting white supremacy in the Klan folded in 1933. After thousands of new war industry jobs arrived in LA in the early 1940s, Schuler's ministry base, the poor and unemployed, declined. Schuler died in 1965, a forgotten relic of a stranger time. But while fighting Bob Schuler was stirring up the Okies with his fiery sermons and cries for white supremacy, another evangelist was presenting a kinder, gentler message. She did it with flamboyant presentations that were right out of a Hollywood musical, and in fact, the regular appearance of movie stars at her services was one of her claims to fame. The evangelist's name was Amy Simple McPherson, and the Pentecostal church that she founded, the International Church of the Four Square Gospel, still exists today. Sister Amy, as her thousands of followers called her, was born Amy Kennedy and raised on a farm in Ontario, Canada. Growing up, she followed in her grandfather's footsteps by joining the Salvation Army. But after a crisis of faith, she was converted to Pentecostalism by an evangelist named Robert Semple. She first joined his church and traveled with him preaching revivals around the country and then married him in 1908. Two years later, while they were awaiting their papers to travel into China as missionaries, Simple died in Hong Kong. Amy, now with an infant daughter, returned to the U.S. and married a second time in 1912 to a grocery salesman named Harold McPherson and gave birth to a son. Amy tried to settle down to the quiet life of a housewife, but she was unable to do it. She felt she was destined for bigger things. She divorced McPherson in 1918, and she, her children, and her mother, Minnie, with nothing more than $100 and a tambourine, as she liked to tell it, drove to Los Angeles. It was a trip that Amy later referred to as a spiritual quest that ended in revelation. She believed that the city of angels was the doorway to heaven, and for a time, it certainly seemed to be. 
She began spreading her message in every way possible, even throwing tracks from an airplane as it flew over neighborhoods populated by recent arrivals to the city. She was soon packing standing room only crowds into the Philharmonic Auditorium, which was then the largest venue in L.A., by 1923, she had her own Angelus Temple, which seated 5,300 people and cost more than $1.5 million to build. At her services, she entertained the curious and the faithful alike with bizarre stage sketches that featured a USC football player making a touchdown for Jesus and an LAPD motorcycle cop riding in to arrest sin. Well, everyone loved the show, and soon her popularity would rival that of some movie stars. Besides entertaining and preaching, Amy was also an avid organizer. She added some 250 affiliated churches, a rescue mission, a publications division, an orchestra, and a radio station, creating a massive organization that is only rivaled by today's mega churches. She also composed 180 hymns and several musical pageants, all of which were very upbeat and offered redemption. In keeping with her Salvation Army background, she also designed uniforms for herself and for her female bodyguards. Not surprisingly, Amy had a talent for raising money, which supported the church, her mansion near MGM Studios in Culver City, her expensive clothes, and a fine automobile. At collection time, she would often tell her supporters from the stage, quote, Sister has a headache tonight. Only quiet money, please. Well, as the money rolled in, stories of miraculous cures began to spread. A miracle room in the Angelus Temple was filled with discarded crutches, wheelchairs, and even the leg braces of a 10-year-old polio victim. He was so confident when he came to visit Sister Amy that he brought another pair of shoes with him to wear home. The stories claimed he walked out of the temple. Then in 1926, Amy's glory days mostly came to an end. A scandal captured the imagination of readers across America and offered them lurid headlines for weeks afterward. On the afternoon of May 18, 1926, Amy was spotted swimming off Ocean Park Beach in Santa Monica, and then she vanished without a trace. She was presumed to have drowned, but after a massive search, during which a church volunteer and a professional diver drowned, her body was not recovered. A terrible time of mourning followed after Amy was officially presumed dead. An all-day memorial service attended by thousands of weeping and hysterical mourners was held on June 20th. People packed into the church to say their final goodbyes. But, well, let's just say that turned out to be a little premature. Three days later, Amy herself turned up in the Mexican town of Agua Prieta, claiming that she had been kidnapped and held in a shack in the Sonoran Desert. On her return to Los Angeles, a carpet of roses was spread when she disembarked from the train, and more than 1,000 of her followers and well-wishers lined the streets and cheered as she drove by. But Amy had returned. Things weren't exactly what they appeared to be. It was soon discovered that Amy had actually spent the month at a cottage in Carmel, shacked up with Kenneth Ormiston, a married engineer on the staff of her radio station. For nearly six months, LA District Attorney Asa Keys gathered evidence, which included a Carmel grocery store shopping list in Amy's handwriting, planning to charge her with conspiracy to produce false testimony. In the end though, Amy's fame saved her from prosecution. Inexplicably, the DA decided that the case he'd build against her was too weak to bring against a person of her tremendous popularity. On the evening that Keyes made the announcement, the faithful mobbed Amy and the newspaper spread the news in glaring headlines, but the damage was already done. For most of America, 
Amy had become a dirty joke. Amy Simple McPherson carried on for 20 more years, preaching and defending herself against the old scandal. It never seemed to go away, and in 1930, she suffered a nervous breakdown. She was prescribed second all to deal with her anxieties, and on September 27, 1944, she died in San Francisco from an accidental overdose. Some of her closest friends attributed the accident to a combination of a broken heart and exhaustion from her endless struggle to restore her name, her popularity, and her influence. At her funeral, held at the Angelus Temple, more than 40,000 mourners passed by her casket to say goodbye. Again, except this time, it was real. But I do want to leave you with this, however, just to show that no matter how mainstream Amy's church might have seemed at the time, it still had the kind of kookiness linked to it that you'll only find in L.A. There was a weird rumor that followed Amy to the grave. When she was buried at Forest Lawn Cemetery in a huge tomb with an iron gate guarded by two kneeling marble angels, it was said that a direct telephone line to the Angelus Temple was installed in the tomb with her. That way, when she returned from the dead, as her followers believed she would, she'd be able to alert someone to come to the cemetery and let her out of the tomb. It was a rumor, and I have no idea if that story is true, but, well, if it wasn't, it should have been. So we'll see you back here in two weeks with the second part of our Hollywood's Preachers, Cults, Kooks, and Crazies two-parter with the story of the most terrifying and the weirdest cult in L.A. history. Thanks for listening. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words? Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. 
Maybe you think they're just part of getting older. But Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Put that on there. Don't don't leave that in. It's uh, Mike Tyson's favorite catchphrase. <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, yeah. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks for tuning into the American Hauntings podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in season five of the podcast, Haunted Hollywood. I'm your co-host Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Orson Taylor. Wells. Orson oh. Wells. I did get some emails about Orson Wells <laughs> with um, some outtakes and different fun stuff that people sent us. So I just can't escape that. No, unfortunately. probably not. Yeah, I know. Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I was gonna say I don't know what got that started, but it was all my fault. Yeah, so. you were what got that started. Like, don't act like you don't <laughs> yeah, fucking know what what happened. <laughs> uh, man, it was you know, it was at least it was as a nice. Uh, it broke things up, broke up the monotony yes. a little bit. You know, yes, we, we like to keep you on your toes here at yeah. American Haunting. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez, what's been going on, man? What, what do we got? What's oh, what's, what's well, going on in your life? Uh, well, it's summer. Yeah. Now, finally. I mean, it feels like it. It seems like summer. I know. I'm hot in here. Yeah. It uh, finally feels like feels like summer. So which is nice. And um, things are are people are excited about getting out and doing stuff again, which is really nice. So we uh, had a lot of like sold out events, Mm -hmm. lots of sold out events, including the conference coming up the end of July. So somebody asked me, how come we weren't talking about it this year? And I'm like, well, (laughs) there's nothing to talk about because you can't, if you didn't sign up, you can't come. You can't sit with us. Yeah. You'll have to come the next year. But anyway, with, with stuff opening back up and, you know, and I, I'm going to say that that is all thanks to people smart enough to get vaccinated and I'm going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it, but you know, we are doing all the heavy lifting here. The vaccinated people, we're the reason things are open. Get my second shot on the 12th. Exactly. So anyway, um, but uh, I do want to plug a couple of things. Uh, I want to plug the dinner and spirits events we have coming up. They are, um, all of them are more than half. Well, some are closer to being almost completely full, Mm -hmm. but all of them are over half full. And those are for, um, well, the junior ones are sold out. So July and August events are, that's all we have left uh, for the summer, as far as our summer schedule goes. Did so, you do a Hell Hath No Fury one yet? I did, but I'm doing another one in, in August. How was that? August. Good. It was fun. Yeah, yeah. I, want, I want to check one of those out because yeah, so, mm, I yeah, love that dangerous yeah, one. Yeah, that's coming up too. So we do have one of those. But uh, we also have uh, a lot of tours that mm-hmm. are finally opening up. Alton and Chicago especially. So I have a deal just for podcast listeners. Oh, shit. Uh, you get 10% off any of your tickets for Alton or the Weird Chicago Tours this summer. Uh, when you make a reservation, all you have to do is use the promo code HOLIDAY, 
and you'll get 10% off your tickets no matter how many you buy. All right. What website so do they So Alton do they Hauntings uh-huh. for the Alton Tours and WeirdChicago.com for our Weird Chicago Tours. And that's promo code HOLIDAY. HOLIDAY. Okay, Just, guys, I need Troy to think this podcast <laughs> helps his business, so please go to the sites, <laughs> use that promo code, and let's show them that, you know, these listeners, are, <laughs> this is more than just for me and my ego. Uh, okay. Now, that seems really exciting. Yeah, um, so we thought we'd throw that out there just for podcast listeners. You know, we always yeah. do have that, you know, and we do uh, remember to mention it sometimes that we, you know, we do offer a discount to podcast listeners off books and stuff just mm-hmm. by using the promo code podcast. Yeah. You still get 10% off stuff. Yep. So, uh, but we also have, as I said, I do have um, some dinner and spirits things coming up. We have, I think, just one River Road tour left for August 28th uh, mm. for the summer. The other ones are sold out. Uh, but we do have um, a dinner and spirits event. We have the Donner Party on July 3rd. On August 6th, we have the Haunted Hotels. Mm-hmm. Uh, August 7th is uh, Wyatt Earp and Ghost Stories of Tombstone. Oh, you'd be busy and boy then, that weekend. Yeah, on the 14th, uh, we've got the Hell Hath No Fury. Okay. So... Anybody who's interested in any of those things, you can find them um, just by going to AmericanHauntings.net, the main website. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, like I said, on the the tour with the uh, with the coupon with the ten percent off, uh, it's AltonHauntings.com or WeirdChicago.com. AltonHauntings.com, yeah. WeirdChicago.com. That's that's awesome. Um, if anybody's interested in doing stuff, especially around Alton, I'm just going to recommend that last um, River Road tour that you have because those yeah, are my fun. some of my yeah, favorites. I, I really like doing those. So we've got one next weekend, but it's been somebody asked me the other day, "Is oh, can we get tickets for that?" Well, mm-hmm. you can if you time travel. <laughs> you want to like two months? Yeah, strap you to the top yeah. of the bus. <laughs> yeah, there's just no way to do it. But yeah, awesome. Well, I'm super glad to hear that people are coming out yeah. and being able to oh, do yeah. things. Yeah, things and, are picking up. Yeah, things so are picking back busy. up. That's awesome. Uh, so let's see. We went on a crazy ride as far as listener reviews for a while there because we were begging for them so we could hit that 1,000. Yeah. We hit 1,000 reviews, kept that five you know star <laughs> rating. And then after that, I was like, I don't care. After this, I, I was done. You guys did exactly what I asked, and it was amazing. <laughs> we still get a couple reviews coming in after that. So this one is from uh, Lady De Purple. Sorry if I'm supposed to say that with an accent or something, but that, that's what it says. It's titled Great Pod History and Creepy Interest. It says, just want to thank you for your entertaining and informative show. Love your advice on local uh, and travel tours. Going to L.A. this year and looking forward to visiting some spots from the recent series. And then a purple heart emoji. Um, okay, because lady to purple. Okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so thank you so much for, <laughs> for that review. That really means a lot to us. Um, a couple random things before we get started. Um what do you th- what are your thoughts on the new Evil Dead movie going straight to streaming? Uh, is it a movie or a series? I thought it was a movie. I think it's the next one in the okay. movie, okay. but I'm not positive. Well, but- I mean, it's I mean that's it's a wave of the future. It makes man. sense, right? I mean, it does, I mean, and it does because they don't have to worry about the ratings boards and everything. Because I mean, I remember when the original came out, yeah, and there was no way they could get that thing i mean they were lucky to do be able to put it out unrated and still people be able to see it wait they put it out unrated the original the very first evil dead was put out unrated what was that the 80 87 80, no something? no no it was no. earlier than that it was like 81 82 oh shit okay and it so came out unrated you could do that back yeah, then yeah you could do that back then but a lot of newspapers wouldn't run ads mm. a lot of theater chains wouldn't carry it so it took a long time for it to get out there. In fact, it wasn't until Stephen King saw it mm-hmm. and said, "This is the most original horror film I've seen this year. Go really? see it." And then people started 
getting into, you know, finding it, tracking it down. But then you got to remember, too, that the early 80s were the beginning of the home video movement. Mm-hmm. And so people went bananas over stuff on home video. Right. And that's, you know, what started. So essentially what you had in the 80s with direct-to-video, now we've got direct-to-streaming. And, I mean, a lot of really great movies came out last year. It's just people didn't see them because right. they didn't know to look for them. Right. Um, and I think we're still going to continue to see a lot of stuff come straight to streaming. And I think that um, I watched uh, last weekend, uh, Orn and I watched uh, Army of the Dead. Yeah. And it was great. I thought, yeah. I mean, I, I it, it was worth it was worth just seeing it on Netflix. I yeah. didn't have to go to the theater to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and But we really liked it. It was just fun. It was you know, fun. It was silly fun. Um, so, you know, and now they've got it so that when you put something out on Netflix that it can qualify for Academy Awards uh-huh. and stuff like that. So some people aren't happy about that. No, I know. But I, I, I know I'm down. It's for it. fine with me. I, I, I like the mixture of stuff. I mean, yeah, I went to see Spiral. Um, the new Saw movie. Oh, and you, I haven't seen it. What'd you think? Yeah, it was it was it was okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. Um, I mean, I wouldn't go. Oh, this is the best one I've ever seen or sure. anything like that. But it was it was still pretty good. Yeah, we enjoyed it. I mean, I think I gave it like three stars or something. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was worth seeing. Um, but you know, the movie experience is. I mean, the place was mostly deserted. Say, what was it like being back in a movie yeah, theater? I mean, well, that was my second. That yeah. was my second movie back, and I'm gonna go see. And I know you saw Quiet Place too, and sure. I'm gonna see it. Um, try to see it this weekend at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, I got stuff going on, but I'm going to try to see it this weekend. And um, I, um, I, I liked it. I mean, we the theater that we went to see it at was ones with the big leather seats with the recliner oh, for yeah. your legs yeah, and all yeah. that stuff. So yeah. you know, but it was still kind of you know, I don't know, it was empty. Yeah. We were the only people in there, yeah. you know. But of course, you know me; I do that on purpose. I go, <laughs> yes, you do. I go to see horror films on Sunday morning at ten a.m. because it. I know no one will be there. Same, or very yeah. few people will be there. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, you know, I enjoyed it, and so we'll see. You know, we'll just see how things go. Yeah. I mean, I think that the theaters are going to be uh, the stuff they waited on. I know that they had a good opening for Quiet Place too, but compared to let's say twenty nineteen, if it had oh, come yeah. out. You know, it was totally a fraction different. of what, you know, they would have sure. seen. So, I'm, but it's also coming out in like 45 days yep. on something else. Yeah, yeah. On, on streaming, Is yes. It, yeah, I saw on streaming probably so, just for rental, but still. Yeah, so you know. I, I went, so I saw Bloodshot last year. Oh, right. And then shit hit the fan. Yeah. A Quiet Place 2 was the next movie I was supposed to go see, right. and then I couldn't. And then eventually I saw Tenet. I was mm-hmm. one of oh, yeah. four you people in the, the theater, fall, right. yeah, um, which was kind of surreal too. And then I finally got to go back to the theater for a Quiet Place Two the other day, and uh, yeah, it, I mean, I went to Ronnie's um, on Lindbergh, and it was it was it, I love that theater, and it was but it was still very surreal. But yeah. but it reminded me like okay, yes, the stream streaming is great, and I do love just being able to like the convenience and everything of my my home theater kind of thing. But that it. It reminded me of why every once in a while there's certain movies I want to see in the theater, and um, I liked that. Yeah, you don't see I, your faces well, saying you're no, disagreeing it's not, with me. It's not that. I. What do you um, think? I love movie theaters. Uh, I love movies. I love movies. I love movie theaters. But I've gotten to the point where I'm so sick and tired of the way that people behave in movie theaters okay. that I just as soon stay home. That's fair. Plus, plus I laugh. Plus, I'm an old man, and I like to have the words on. Can we put the words on? You know, and so if there's no caption, I'm like, shit, what did Chris Rock just say? You know, that kind of captions thing. Captions are so, a good point. I like captions. Um, that is very fair. So, I, Even I, though I play everything, like, 
you know, so that billion the whole building shakes. Because you got that great sound system. I do. Yeah. And it just shakes the building, but um, I still like the captions on. Well, because I watched so many, you know, all last summer, every time you talk to me, oh, yeah, I'm watching a Norwegian crime thriller. <laughs> right. I have to have captions, even if sure. they're speaking English. I, I have not understand them. I have so. captions, too. And that actually brings up a good point, and I'm not I'm not trying to brag, but all the, the movies I see are typically press screening, so if you pull out a phone, oh, sure. they kick you out. Yeah, so, like, yeah, I don't yeah. have anybody doing any bullshit well, that's, that's or nice. anything. And yeah. I actually, I forgot... Yeah, how terrible people it can is. be in, in normal screenings. Yeah, I don't want to hear your candy wrappers. I don't want to hear you talking. Your commentary. I, just, yeah, I don't want to hear any of that. I want to pretend like you're not there. Yeah, don't be texting and, and, yeah. and, call, and take so calls. That's, and that that's become my issue. With that that's totally theaters. fair. Well, that's so. probably that probably lent itself a lot to you building your own like kind yeah. of dope ass yeah, sounds. Why I have all that stuff at home? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Well, okay. So I just wanted to take us off on that little tangent sure. for a minute. Sure, sure. Um, well, you know, you can start me off on and wind me up on movie stuff. I know. I'll yeah. Go. I think, yeah, these are going to be some, uh, some probably, I don't know if they're going to be longer episodes or not, but we're going to, we're going to get into some details about some stuff. And I'm, I'm excited to talk cult, man. <laughs> like, I think everybody that's yeah. even remotely interested in, even, the remotely interested in this stuff is down for cults, but I think even just your average person's probably like has a genuine like curiosity. A small curiosity about yeah, we're all curious about the whole the mindset and and you know and so many people are just oh I don't see how they could possibly believe that and then the stuff they believe is just as crazy uh-huh. and you know and I think we're all that way in of some course. ways you know we we're all human. have our weird tangents that we you know go off on in our brain and it's just some people's can exploit it toward religion and then you have people who will yes exploit that yeah and that was kind of the point i was trying to make at the beginning of this we always talk about all the fruits and nuts in california Mm -hmm. well the reason that there is is because people went out there for one thing and then you know all these cults and churches followed behind them yes you know and here we are so we're gonna okay we're gonna dive into that and we're also gonna talk about that in my opinion the blurred line between cult and religion Mm. um so if that there is one if that yeah if that phrase makes you uncomfortable then you should probably just stop listening it's gonna be like the angel discussion so if and lisa's downstairs yeah she can't fucking stop us she's not up here anyway all right southern (laughs) california 1920s when we think of cults, we think of, uh, you know, Los Angeles, Southern California. Some of the most famous have called California home. Children of God, Heaven's Gate, the People's Temple, the Manson family. You kind of skewed around this yeah, little bit. The Scientology. Only, the only one we're going to dig into in this season is going to be, well, except for our next episode, mm-hmm. is going to be the Manson family because it, they are so closely connected to show business. Sure, sure. I mean, the other ones, yes and no, Scientology. <laughs> Definitely a cult. I, do we, can we get put on the suppressive persons I, list? I hope so. That yeah, would be amazing. Say, yeah, I hope so. I'll say if you if you do want to learn more about those other cults, or there are great podcasts out there. And if you like funny things, the last podcast pretty much has episodes on all of the yeah. last podcast on the last. Has well, I also wrote a book this. called Taking Up Serpents. You did, and I actually lost. I lost that in the divorce. Um, oh. I, I realized that the other day because I was I was doing research and I was like, <laughs> "Where's that book?" And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that chick." Anyway, um, cults badly want to coerce followers into giving them money. And or sex, because, you know, yeah. who wouldn't? Early Southern California offered them interesting ways to do this. You said basically rich people plus church-free, for the most part, and yeah. celebrities. Yeah. So this is kind of like the perfect breeding ground for... A perfect breeding and, ground, and because weather. you had all these people who came out there because they were trying to escape from something back home. And yes. so they end up in California where 
you know, I mean, yes, there was Catholicism, forced Catholicism uh-huh. uh, on the original inhabitants that were there. And so you Wait, still there were have people all there the, first yeah, when we right? showed up. Okay. There were still all the missions and things there. But other than that, there really was no. I mean, New England, you think of these certain, you know, kind of puritanical type, yep. you know, faiths and, you know, when the Southern Baptists and, you know, the Bible Belt. But what do you got? California? Nothing. Just so gold all these people, the yeah, all these people end up out there, and so, man, here comes here comes trouble right yeah. behind them. It's perfect. Yeah, you said L.A. and Hollywood become the new Sodom and Gomorrah, but this description <laughs> backfires and draws way more people in. I mean, it's the same. It's a, you tell a kid not to do something, uh-huh. like they're gonna exactly. want to do it, and that's just kind of what happened. I like this. Um, this quote you said, you said, this this became a draw for people in the 1920s, that great period of excess abandonment and experimentation. This was the time of the, quote, lost generation of young adults who had been traumatized by the horrors of the Great War, who had become cynical about the values of their parents and grandparents, the people responsible for starting that terrible war in the first place. We just keep seeing history repeat itself, oh, sure. right? Yeah, Vietnam yeah, and, yeah. and, you know, the wars after that. And yeah. so it just kind of seems very cyclical. Yep, it is. It is. We just have more changes. technology um, We were talking about this. In our last episodes, we were talking about how the Great War spawned the modern horror movement that yeah. we know of. Scott Poole wrote a great book on it called Wasteland. I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, if you are interested in you know, how the trauma of war creates fictional horrors, mm-hmm. and then we talked about how World War II and the, you know, the uptick in the murders in L.A. and other places— after the war, when you've got all these guys coming home with PTSD, and they're literally murdering people. They got really good yeah. at killing people. Yeah, exactly. And how do you just shut that off? I you know, imagine. the same thing happened after Vietnam. I mean, it's continued to happen. We've watched yeah. people come home with, you know, um, you know, PTSD from all of these different wars and have, you know, and then, you know, the, the, the VA is inadequate to deal with that kind of thing, and people don't have the patience to want to deal with it, and... They just slide between the cracks. And yeah. it's, I mean, and it's not just, it's not just military guys coming home. I mean, it's, I mean, there's a reason we have so many, you know, shootings. What we've had like 62 mass shootings this year alone. Yeah, at least. and that's insane. It's the end of May. How does this even happen? Mm-hmm. You know, um, because our mental health organizations in this country can't deal with it. And plus, we're coming out of a pandemic, right? Where you know, the you couldn't go to the hospital with anything other than COVID. Because there was nothing, you can't be treated. I mean, sure. there was no way to treat anybody. So, you know, we're gonna be we're gonna be picking up the pieces from this for a while. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that's the way it's gonna be. And I think that we've looked at this, like you said, these are cycles that we go through that we see over and over and over again, and it will be this way forever. Yeah. I mean, it's human nature. Nothing's ever gonna change. I mean, that's just how it is. Yeah. Um, it's unfortunate. I'd like to think that it could change. That things could be done, but who knows? You know, I guess we'll see. Hope for the future. Yeah, we'll be dead by then. But, well, you know, yeah, I hope our kids do a better job <laughs> of it than we have. So. Oh, yeah. Best of luck, children. Yeah. So movie stars immerse themselves in the occult. You talk about hundreds of performers are uh, are more than passingly interested in necromancy, superstition, <laughs> uh, prognostication in general. Palmas, crystal gazers, uh, trance mediums were also everywhere. And then you, even people like paying astrologers to notify them. It's like, <laughs> OK, if, you know, if, Mer- if Mercury's in retrograde, let me know, because yeah. that might affect this, uh-huh. you know, audition I have that's- or something. Going on too. Of course it yeah. is, yeah. 
Uh, but I love the memes that talk about it. It's like, well, I'm a bad driver because I'm a Capri Sun. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, lady. Anyway, uh, moving on to Dr. Lewis Browns, who's a religious scholar. And, and he said in 1929 that the world is filled with primitive minds, talking about why people could fall for things like cults and stuff. He estimated that there were approximately 400 cults active in Southern California in the late 1920s, with memberships numbering in the hundreds of thousands. I never would have thought it was this widespread well, that many there's people. A lot. I mean, I list quite a few. You do. A couple I wanted to highlight. A Christian school of psychosophy. Yes, psychosophy. Yeah, psychosis. I was I at first. Know. I was like, "Wait, I know it's a typo." I know, and it's then not a typo. And yeah. Church Invisible both yeah. sound really dope. Like I, know, I like right? both of those, and right. I actually have some fun stuff about cult names I'm in the next still episode. Trying to figure out the Tabernacle of the Third Coming. I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Didn't we skip one somewhere? But whatever. You know, uh, just wait till next episode. I have some fun stuff about names. <laughs> um, so basically, there were a ton of cults, and you said, "quote There were once so many cults in the city that a 1930 newspaper editorial complained that quote Los Angeles extends a welcome asylum to every cult of every kind that seeks to hide temporarily its ugly head until it can build sufficient strength to begin spreading of its poisonous propaganda." So let's talk about these different types of cults that you've listed out because I mean, cults are amazing and I love how you broke them down by like genre flavor. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. That's, a, like, that's the best way to handle it. Yeah, it's thought, perfect. So, so yeah. we're going to start with love cults. Uh, you talk about this nest of love on uh, Santee street uh, where women were forced to quote, speak in tongues, perform devil dances and engage in soul mating and spiritual husbands. This sounds kind of hot. I'm not going to lie. Like this sounds pretty cool. Right. And there's some, well, it's, you know, it's just, these are excuses that people use well, of to course. do whatever they want to do. And right. So you can say it's, you know, you're doing it. You can do anything in the name of religion in it. Yeah, that's you true. Know, it becomes okay. Right. Um, and especially in this country where, you know, that's where freedom of religion will often backfire mm-hmm. on people. They're, you know, become so afraid of violating people's, you know, uh, right. freedom of re- religion rights that we end up with, you know, polygamists and sure. guys married to 312-year-old girls mm-hmm. and they call it their religion. And, here we go. This is where we get into trouble. And I mean, some of this stuff is crazy, but I mean, largely harmless Sure, for the most part. It also, I mean, as far as we know. It also helps, though. It helps take down the Ten Commandments at a federal building because they don't want Baphomet <laughs> well, right next yeah, to it, you know? I know. So right, I, I do love some of that shit. But um, so there's something I want to we're going to dive into this a little bit more later, but there's something about female cult leaders, too, that's especially intriguing to me. Well, again, it's the same reason that you had so many female leaders in the spiritualist movement in the 19th century, Mm -hmm. Uh, because especially at that time, even more so than, say, the 1920s, that was a time period where women were just utterly oppressed. Yeah. I mean, they were considered property of their husbands. They couldn't do anything without his permission. They couldn't open a bank account. They couldn't do anything. Well, suddenly now you've got all these women who are, you know, being blessed with these psychic gifts, you know, or of whatever kind. And now they're making their own money. They're leading uh, an entire movement that is popular across the country. And this is the same kind of thing. So the 1920s comes around, and women are, for the first time, getting out. Now they have the vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can get out. They're starting to become, you know, uh, at least you know, semi-equal citizens uh, with sure. the men who've been, you know, keeping them down for centuries now. And so, you know, if they want to start a cult, more power to them. Fucking right. You, know, I you, mean, you talk about this in American Hauntings, too, the book a little bit, yeah, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I talk about a lot about that because it's, 
I mean, it was a real change in our society that mm-hmm. was needed. It's just odd that we have to do it in such an extreme way. It's the only way it seems to work. I feel you like know, it's the pendulum's I mean, got to swing yeah, real hard and, the know, other way. By the, by the 70s, you know, women are you know burning their bras and women's right. lib and all that, which again is a is a an extreme reaction. To, but that's what it took. Yeah, and that's what it takes. And it's just like now, you know, we we've got a female vice president. You know, and but it took a lot to get to that point. Sure, you know, so. I don't know. You know, it's, um, I think that that, but that does explain a lot of these, you know, female cult leaders. Yeah. Well, they're just, they're, and not, and not, but you know, that, that changes though. That's a big thing in the twenties mm-hmm. and even the thirties, but by the time we get to the sixties and seventies, we f- flipped everything back again. Mm-hmm. And now you got Charlie Manson and all these other people that are now back to oppressing women again. Right. So it's all just, it, it, again, it all comes in cycles. Just Well, like I'm said. hoping that I'm on the upside of this other cycle and we get some more female cult leaders around <laughs> at this time while I'm alive and in my prime, because that'd be great. Um, anyway, yeah, okay. The ones that we get now are not anything you'd be interested in. Trust oh me. boy. So. All right. Just always break my heart. Well, let's talk <laughs> about some of these love cults. So we have uh, Helios. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So this sounds like a name that was in like 300 or like a, a Greek or... It does. I think it is a. I think it is a Greek name. And I'm sure um, some asshole's yeah. gonna be like, "Well, it's actually the god." Like, yeah, please tell yeah, me. I'm sorry. I didn't something. research yeah, this. I didn't. I didn't. It's either. it's run by Edith uh, Lessing, who preached that free love would replace marriage, presided over a ramshackle compound of tents and shacks in Glasshouse Park. <laughs> um, hey, you know what? All the more power to you, Edith. Um, <laughs> Temple of Thelma. So 1939, High Priestess uh, Regina Cool. Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, I think so. Yes. Okay. Uh, again, I haven't listened to Troy's recordings yeah. yet. I've only read them, uh, set up the, quote, Temple of Thelma in a basement of one of the dorms at L.A. City College so she would don robes, chant suggestive passages from an Aleister Crowley book, and embrace the power of the lifted lance. This is awesome. Like, it's yeah. just, she's I mean, just, it just, she's just like, fucking dudes in a basement uh, yeah, dorm, right? Exactly. Or, yeah. And, and it's calling it a church. <laughs> calling it a because church. Because that's what she wanted to do. So, I mean, whatever. Hell, you know? you know, as long as everybody's an adult anybody. and they're consenting, yeah, who cares? Uh, 1946, Henry yeah. King Daddy yeah. Newsom arrested. So on the other hand, is yeah not, arrested for an underage yeah, sex camp. Not, basically, yeah, he's not funny. Yeah, that's not cool. I won't even make any jokes about that. Um, this one is, is interesting. I wanted to ask you some questions. So Guy Ballard. So there was an I yeah, am this is movement. A, there's an actually a really long history behind this. Yeah, and it is still active today. So over a million devotees. This seems. Different. Yeah, it was a you, little you, you bigger. You called it a movement. Yeah, even. it was a little bigger than just a random cult. I mean, obviously, it's a cult. <laughs> right, but, right. I mean, he, he claimed that he, you know, made contact with this mysterious being on Mount Shasta, which is, there's a whole long history behind Mount Shasta. Um, Colin Dickey, who wrote uh, Ghostland, Ghostland, he yeah. also did a book called The Unidentified that came out last year. And he has a whole chapter about Mount Shasta. It's so crazy. Okay. I mean, everything from UFO bases to Bigfoot to everything, huh. all this mystical it's stuff. The hot spot. And he talks quite a bit about Guy and Edna Ballard uh, in the book and their movement that they created. And um, there, like I said, there are still remnants of it around mm-hmm. today uh, because it became almost like a Rosicrucian kind of deal, okay. you know, where it's 
it's still a fringe thing, but it became more mainstream than a lot of this other stuff did. I mean, you know, most of these that I'm talking about are very, we're very small, you know, within, you know, 50 to 100 people at the most. Uh, but this one actually got quite a, a million. bit bigger. Yeah. And, you know, a few of the other ones we'll talk about here did too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, but, this, I called this one out just because I'd never heard of it. Yeah. But it seemed yeah, huge. Yeah. It is. And um, it was, it was all kind of, um, a lot of UFO type stuff and uh-huh. mystical beings and, you know, a lot of Scientology-esque type stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm still... So in other words, just complete, you know, made up. Right. You know, yeah. Crap. No, I'm, uh, I'm waiting for them to classify um, CrossFit <laughs> as a, as a cult <laughs> and put them on some watch list. Um, yeah. Next up. Can we... we put vegans on there too? I'm just <laughs> kidding. Just kidding. And atheists. Yeah. Those three, those three groups. <laughs> um, House of Judah. So House of Judah cult used uh, purification by fire and quote, Garden of Eden orgies, which sounds great on the which surface. Just sounds naked. Yeah, so. right, right, right. So members prayed and chanted together in the nude, sacrificed lambs, which they burned alive, much to the horror of their neighbors. So, yeah, yeah I mean, maybe try not to draw too much attention to yourself if you, if you can, yeah, if you're trying to keep yeah, something underground. And, plan. Yeah, and also, you know, don't burn lambs alive. Um, then we have Bishop, uh, quote, Bishop Wilbur Leroy Cosper, arrested in 1926 for practicing medicine and religion without a license. They promised onlookers a, a resurrection day. Um, so... That's one of the common tropes. We're going to, this episode, the next one, we're going to talk about common tropes. Um, one of the big things with cults seems to be some end date, you yeah. know? Well, and that's something that I talk a lot about in Taking Up Serpents. Uh-huh. I talk a lot about that there are lots and lots of cults with a prophet at the head mm-hmm. who predicts days when the world's going to end. And then when they don't end, because... They move the goalpost. Yeah, they just move the date and say that they misread it or they got another message from God and changed sure. it. Sure. Um, and I, the other thing is the fascination that all of these cults seem to have with the Book of Revelation, yeah, which is the biggest bunch of mumbo jumbo gibberish, uh-huh. and is not meant to be taken in any way literally. How and that's, could it be? But that's the problem, yeah. Because well, yeah. since it's not meant to be taken literally, you can make up anything you want to about it, and that's your interpretation. Then, and that's where a lot of the trouble comes from. Sure, you know, and so. People get suckered into these, you know, these cults and these movements because this guy seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, and that's 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 the scary thing. That's the dangerous part of it. Right. Well, you heard it here first. There are problematic books in the Bible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Okay. no, that that is interesting. Um, Let's moving on to Seventh Day Adventist, not to be confused with. What Seventh Day Adventist Church? I, I know this is the mission. This is right. the mission. This is Margaret uh, Margaret Rowan. Um, she's adamant that the world will end on February sixth, nineteen twenty-five. Well, uh, go ahead. No, and no, I'll tell you. I'll explain this Seventh Day thing. No, sure. So honestly, that's the only note I had. Oh, okay. Well, Actually, yeah. What do you the got? Seventh Day Adventist thing got its start way, way back in the eighteen forties. Yeah, I don't know too much about yeah, it. Yeah, it's um, it started with a cult run by a guy named William Miller. And they were the Millerites, and they were waiting for they. He had these dates. He spent like seven or eight years doing nothing but interpreting the Bible to what he believed was a secret code okay. inside that gave the date that the, uh, the of the second coming that uh-huh. was going to happen between like October nineteen or eighteen forty three and eighteen forty four, sometime in okay, there. Okay, well, narrowed it down as the date got closer and closer. Um, members, and it was huge. It became a huge movement. Yeah. 
And uh, members were, you know, giving up their jobs, their homes, their money, because they thought this is it. You know, this is the day it's going to happen. Let's party. And then it came and went. Uh-huh. And then it became known as the, the great disappointment. <laughs> but, of course, he, <laughs> oh, then, oh, he then tried to reconfigure things, but he lost a lot of his spark. But the thing was, is that then his thing that he dreamed up became a very standard part of mainstream churches. Okay. Um, the Seventh-day Adventist church spawned off of the Millerites, mm-hmm. and then they they are still exist, but, and they are, I mean, I guess you, I don't know if you would call them a cult, but you would call them maybe a fringe denomination, so sure. to speak. Um, I mean, I, I would lump Jehovah's Witnesses and some of that kind of stuff in that same kind of fringy type thing. Sure. Um, but... His belief in the day of the second coming, which is only mentioned like once or twice in the entire Bible, right? But has become the staple for just about every denomination in this country, mm-hmm. and it all came from William Miller. Um, I trace the whole thing in taking up serpents. I, I actually trace the founding of of his cult all the way and how it seeped into mainstream churches. Mm-hmm. And now it's a standard thing. And I also have like an entire chapter devoted to all of these mainstream ministers, many, many, many of whom you've heard of, mm-hmm. um, who came up with dates that the world was going to end yeah. or the second coming or whatever. And needless to say, all of them were wrong as right. we still sit here. You know, um, so yeah, it's, it's become one of those things like the Antichrist, where most of the lore comes out of popular culture rather than from the actual Bible. You know, I mean... Who has time to read it? Well, it's I so know, long. and that's the problem. It's just kind of like, you know, all of these churches today, that these evangelical churches that all talk about how strict Christians they are, and yet they somehow have missed out on everything that, like, Jesus taught in the Bible. Yeah. All of that gets left out because we're supposed to be feeding the poor, welcoming immigrants, and all these things. Be nice to each other. Things that that Jesus specifically said. Yeah. But they focus on things that aren't in the Bible at all. Right. So I don't, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. It's my my thing is you got to have, you got to have it one way or the other. You're either going to say, you're either going to do it or not do it. Be consistent at least. So if you're not, if you're going to say that I am this, and I'm going to practice this, well, then do it. Yeah. And you can't keep, you know, except for, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, you asterisk. Know? Yeah, <laughs> in right. The I mean, you have to, You if that's what you're going to follow, then that's what you need to follow. Yeah. If you're not going to, then say that. Then don't do it. Own up But don't it. act like you are. Don't, you know, don't be a, you know, a mega church driving Maseratis and all this stuff, because I'm pretty sure that... There was some things that Jesus said in the Bible that mm-hmm. specifically say you're not supposed to be driving sports cars and living in five hundred thousand dollar houses if Having you're a, a minister. Yeah. I think he kicked all those people out of the temple, if I remember correctly. Right. You know, we so, don't talk about that story. Yeah, well see, yeah, I know, but that's my thing. You mm-hmm. know, I mean he's this is this, you know, this crazy radical is exactly what he was, mm-hmm. you know, and you know that somehow that's become the wrong thing to be. It's sure. just crazy. I mean, and it's just, you know, uh, religion is a tricky subject. Yeah. And I don't tell people what to believe or what not to believe. I think people probably, after listening to me for the last five years or whatever we've been doing this, or if you've read any of my books, you know that I have a somewhat jaded 
idea about <laughs> many jaded yeah, ideas. I would say skeptical so. ideas about organized religion, but that doesn't mean that I don't believe in something. It's just really none of your business what it is, sure. because it's it's my I I can keep that private if I want to, of course. But on the other hand, if you're doing crazy things and they're hurting people, mm-hmm. that's not a good religion to be in. Yep, so, and and I've talked about this since the beginning of the podcast. You know, if you if, if well, if you want to believe in this or that, that's fine. But when I find someone that's believing in something and and getting taken advantage of or using that to take advantage of people. That is where I'm going to call right, them out, sure. and I'm going to, and I'll use this podcast to express my opinions and be like, "Hey, you know, quit doing this shit to good people," and and we're going to call them out. Then, so I know people don't care when we share opinions on this podcast, which is right, weird because it's our podcast, but but we it's try. Okay. But if people are getting taken advantage of, we're going to call it out. Uh, anyway, I know. Moving we're gonna, on, moving on to wacky cults. So this should just get even better. This is what I've called <laughs> wacky cults. Um, let's talk about mankind united, which sounds like a, a football team. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you, yeah, right. You know what I mean? Um, it was created by it's next a, door to Manchester. Yeah, by so. a sci-fi writer Arthur Bell. Uh, he wrote a terrible book. But this, okay, just to clarify, this book wasn't sci-fi, right? The one you were referencing. No, it was supposed to be real. Okay, okay, but this wasn't was, one of the sci-fi. He ones. was a sci-fi writer. So this, I mean, I mean this he just, was writing for. Pol- magazines well just gee doesn't that sound familiar it it does i mean it's literally this is literally the story of scientology except it just doesn't didn't have any celebrities it's l ron hubbard before (laughs) it was out because they also they also get the church incorporated so they can yes you know okay so yeah so this is definitely like the predecessor for that Mm -hmm. um and he's living off all the money that he made from his followers while they kind of slaved away right um this next one it Aetherius? Is that how you pronounce yes. it? It sounds like yes. another Greek or Roman name, I would imagine. Yeah, it kind of does. Um, and somebody, again, call me an asshole on Twitter, but tell me because I don't know. Um, 1950s, George King claimed an alien spoke to him, showed him transmissions from an all-star cosmic <laughs> team that included Jesus and Buddha. <laughs> I love that. Um, this next one, is it, is it Nye Science? Nascience? How do you... I, I think it's Nye Science. Okay. That's the best I could come up with Okay, um, because it's the only... I didn't see how it was. I didn't see anywhere the, uh, okay. the pronunciation. Fair. I, I can't believe they didn't have it. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, Anne Reed Colton blended Christianity with metaphysics and dream analysis. This actually sounds kind of fun. Um, 1966 built a compound in Glendale. You, you notice that compounds tend to be a, a typical thing yes. too. Once you hit a certain yes. level, you got to keep everybody contained and right. around so you that can you tell can the message. keep them under control. Exactly. Yeah. Claimed to have once been a maiden in Atlantis. Mm-hmm. I like. I like this folk- folklore. That's <laughs> fun. Uh, she dies in 1984. Her husband and co founder hanged himself in 1991 this next one's called the source so father yod's tribal community a hundred white robed seekers who moved into a los feliz mansion in 1972 um, some of them jammed with him in his rock band <laughs> yo ho wa 13 yeah is that correct but, i mean that was a pretty standard thing in the early 70s it sounds fun. i mean it was a it was a way to i mean it's a you know, I mean, I'm sure that they got the idea from Manson, kind right? Of thing, let's you just know? let's just get high, play music, yeah, and hang out in a big yeah, house together. Yeah. Um. But again, cops called him part guru, part father, part pimp. So mm, yeah, doesn't sound like the best no. guy. Uh, dies in a hand gliding accident in 1975. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds kind of fun, you know. Sure. Uh, you know, uh, okay. had he not had the pimp part, it would I think it would just been like <laughs> a good party, you know, yeah. in Southern California back then. Now we're gonna move on to some what I've called sinister cults. Uh, things started to get dark in Hollywood in the 1960s. There's a surge of interest in the occult, especially after Rosemary's Baby. You said, quote, there had been devil-worshipping cults in California long before Anton LaVey founded the Church of Satan in California in 1969, which doesn't actually worship Satan, and we won't go into that, but it doesn't. Um, (laughs) But sinister cults had already been around in Hollywood for a while. 
And we know this because there were uh, some cults, obviously, but also some high, uh, not high profile murders, but some murders that, that stuck out. Right. So right. Uh, M- Macario Timon, or is it? Is it yeah, Timon? I think that's right. Yeah, Timon and Pumbaa, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Murdered in Oakland in 1926. Police find books and manuals on the occult and prayers signed in blood beginning with Most Powerful Lucifer. So this is like, we're going to get into this more, but it's like stereotypical yeah. what you want to think of cults right, in right, Hollywood right. The, type the, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's more cults of the uh, Hickory Hall priestess, Mrs. Leach, dominated the household mentally and physically. Uh, we have no wills of our own, no thought except hers, and beat children and cult members alike. Again, something about, you know, the female cult leader when they yeah. have some kind of mansion <laughs> and, you know, control people. Uh, we're seeing a lot of these common themes and tropes. This is one we're going to talk about a little bit more extensively. This is the Process Church of the Final Judge which is just such a you, you put it into a computer and it comes back out as like yeah, cult name uh, and just right, comes yeah, out the other exactly. end it began to flourish in the 1960s and 70s the founders were an Englishman Robert Moore aka de Grimston yeah is Robert that? de Grimston okay. I think he thought that sounded witchy I so guess dumb. so dumb and then this is cool though and Marianne uh, MacLean uh, aka the Oracle which is cool like the Oracle's <laughs> dope right this is before the Matrix and stuff so Oracle's <laughs> cool um, began as a splinter cult group from Scientology and Moore and MacLean were declared suppressive persons that's what it was that's what I wanted yeah. us to I don't right. actually want to get on that list but it'd be funny if we were yeah. um, by L. Ron Hubbard in December 1965 kicked out of Scientology their peculiar theology stated that Jehovah Christ and Satan were not enemies, but they were equal parts of creation. This is, I mean, it's an interesting, fun idea. Yeah, they partied. um, They were cool. (laughs) Um, Like most cults, they recruited teenagers and young people, separating them from their friends and family and indoctrinating them into groups. Um, That's another big trope that we see, right? Like you talk Mm -hmm. about separating people, cutting them off from their families. Right. um, I guess just to like get rid of any kind of voice of reason. Right, right. right. Anybody that ties. Talk them out of being in the cult. I mean, that's. Essentially, say like what Jim Jones did by shipping all those people off to to Guyana, right? Was to keep them in the cult, you know, and to make sure that they were not being led astray by people who were not family members or friends or whatever. Yeah, and um, that's you know how that ended up turning out. I feel know. like if if a if an organization that you are a part of has like specific lines and things that they tell you. To rehearse when your family members members are concerned about you, that's when you should yeah, throw up a, a red flag. Right. You know, right. QAnon. I won't, won't go on yeah. about this, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, that should be a red flag. Um, so let's see. So probably not linked to Charles Manson. Um, we'll talk about this later. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about this? And what, or what, it's what the a bullshit long story. Is? Okay. Um, they, this um, there's a book that came out in the late eighties. And you remember that was the era of the satanic panic. Yes. And this guy, Maury Terry tried to link everything from the process church to, um, couple of the four P movement and a few other things and tried to link them from Manson all the way to son of Sam. And it was this underground satanic network. Uh Uh, He is notoriously on that, a Geraldo Rivera special about, you know, Satanists everywhere okay. across the country. The ultimate evil. Yeah, okay. kidnapping. And so then I, I see the other day that there's a new documentary about the... I thought it was about Son of Sam murders, oh, but Netflix? Sons of Sam, and this is what it's about. Oh, no shit. And, um, I didn't even check it out yeah, yet. I, well, and I haven't either, because that's when I found out that's what it was about. I thought, well, you know, and, and like I've said on the show before... You can say anything you want to in a documentary. That's mm-hmm. why I have spent so much time trying to explain to people that there's no way H.H. H. Holmes was Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was in Chicago during the murders, but they don't want to hear it because they saw it on TV. 
And so that's the thing. You, you got to remember, documentaries are very skewed. It's like the Amelia Earhart photo, you know, the one that everybody saw on TV that she was sitting on a dock in Japan. She'd been kidnapped. That picture was taken years before she even disappeared, you know, and it's just, but they saw it on TV and nobody corrects it. And this is the same kind of thing. So if you watch that documentary, don't don't start thinking that this is accurate because it's not. That's fair enough. And I, I've only heard people in our group, honestly, n- not like that documentary yeah. so far. I haven't heard yeah. anything positive about no. it. Um, all right, so moving on. So uh, this is the group I've uh, deemed the Holy Rollers. Uh, Dust Bowl drives the <laughs> Okies yeah. to California, yeah. essentially. This caused a new wave of churches, cults, and sects, a lot of them bringing racism and white supremacy to right. the masses. Because a lot of right come out of God. the South. Right. You know, they come out of the South. They come from, you know, uh, the Great Plains where they just, there weren't any alternate people of color of any kind. Sure, well, they just had slaves years before. Yeah, and so now you've got, you know, you're living in Oklahoma where, you know, that's where the Dust Bowl began, so Okies is where it got its name. Right, right, right. And so, but, I mean, you know, it's largely a white area, and that's, you know, people come out to California, and then there you go. And so, but you had people who fed into that, Mm -hmm. like Bob Shuler. Yep. You know, who, you know, but it was also the 1920s, which was... The, the rise of the new Ku Klux Klan was mm-hmm. in the 1920s. It was a, uh, an era where, you know, following uh, Griffith's Birth of a Nation film, mm-hmm. which portrayed the Klan as heroes in the, in the movie, um, that's the reason they saw a resurgence in popularity is because of that movie. And um, so it was a case of, you know, again, pop culture influencing American history. And, you know, they you know, soared to popularity for a few years anyway. And yeah. then of course they, you know, burn themselves down as they always do. So sure. Well, eventually I, they always do. Yeah. Now they're, now they're completely gone. Everything's yeah. fine. Well, no, no, now they're in government, but still, oh, eventually, I was going to say they're wearing different eventually uniforms. Eventually they will burn it. themselves down. So, Hopefully yeah, but they you, will. You know, now at least you know who you're living next door to. Anyway, Bob Schuler takes over a failing Methodist church, starts blaming everyone else aside from his congregation for the way their lives are, gets his own radio station as a gift, because that's a normal thing, yeah. becomes America's essentially first broadcast evangelist. Mm-hmm. But he goes too far, attacking L.A. Um, city officials, even used the term fake news. <laughs> um, he eventually gets to say pretty much whatever he wants because a congregation member, John Porter, becomes mayor. But eventually, um, William Randolph Hearst gets involved, and I love this. Like he's such an <laughs> asshole, but he's finally just like, you know what? I gotta, he does I, one good yeah, thing. I can't take this just guy take down this guy. Spends a yeah. million dollars to pretty much destroy his ministry. Yeah. So you know, it doesn't make up for all the other terrible things. But thanks, you know, <laughs> yeah. Hearst. Um, we're getting toward the end here. So Amy Simple McPherson, aka Sister Amy, the International Church of Foursquare Gospel, which at- is still around. It, oh, okay. Yeah. And, and so Four square a- churches are still around. After she t- started it. After two husbands, she feels she's meant for something bigger. So uh, with nothing more than $100 in a tambourine, as she likes to say, drives to L.A. Um, with with her family. By 1923, had her own um, Angelus Temple where she did like weird sketches, essentially? It's hard to explain. Okay, yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, like she vaudeville? started, well, essentially, yeah, in a way. Actually, the best way to describe what, what Amy was doing was she was a mega church before mega churches existed. Sure. You know how we kind of laugh about these churches with coffee shops and all that stuff in them. That was the Angelus temple. That was Amy. Um, um, She would put on these huge shows, these big pageants that she would star in and she would sing and she incorporated like popular music 
and changed the words and made him more religious. Okay. And I mean, that that was her stick. Pretty smart. And it sucked people in. And I'm not saying that, you know, I think she, I think it was done with the best of intentions. Mm, yeah. I just think she also had a lot of people around her, especially her mother. Um, you got to read Taking Up Serpents. I, I do a whole big thing. I need on, to just buy another copy Amy. at this point. Um, because I, I find the story fascinating. And when they did that reboot of uh, Perry Mason mm-hmm. a year or so ago, they had a character very similar to this in it. Okay. Um, and she was she was based on Sister Amy. They also had, um, when they did the um, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, mm-hmm. they also had a character like Sister Amy no in that shit. too. Um, so I think that, again, like I said, I think that she did a lot of what she did with the best of intentions, but I mean, she was raking in huge amounts of cash. But, you know, she was human, and so I don't, I don't really laugh at her, her downfall. Um, it's, I find it ironic because I mean, this happens to all of them. I mean, look at, look at how many we've seen even like in our lifetimes. I mean, Jimmy Swaggart and, you know, all these Jim Baker and all these people who, you know, who get taken down. Fingers crossed for Joel Osteen over here. But the thing about, the thing about Amy is that she wasn't, she wasn't targeting other people like these a lot of these people do. Yeah. And so you kind of look at it and you go, well, you deserve it because you were such a horrible person. Right. She really was just trying to spread the word. You then, know, then why I mean, do this dumbass disappearance? I don't act? know. I, I don't know. That's a good question. And I wish that, um, you know, like I said, I just gave it an overview here and it, I, I went into a lot more detail in the book, but I just, um, I think that she needed a break. I mean, I think she needed to get away from this. That's fair. And this is the way, for whatever reason, thought this was a good idea. My guess is that she probably never intended on ever coming back. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess at some point she decided that she couldn't make it on her own and faked, you know, that she had been kidnapped and right. showed up in this town in Mexico and was in the hospital. But then, you know, the DA was going to land on her with both feet and then ended up, I probably ended up doing it for the same reason I'm giving her a pass because, you know, I think he probably felt sorry for her because her mother was a mm. terror. And um, so I think that, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances here that I just kind I kind of feel sorry for. Yeah. But it's just such an interesting story. I, sure. um, you know, it's a fascinating story that she became this pop culture icon in L.A. during this time period. I mean, movie stars and I mean, everybody went to her performances because that's essentially what they were. I mean, they were church services, but there'd be like 5,000 people there. Yeah. And, uh, Sounds you know, awesome. people um, enjoyed it. You know, they felt like they were getting a bang for their buck. You know, they didn't feel people didn't feel used. They didn't feel like they were being taken advantage of, even though they probably in many ways were because it was so much money coming in, just unbelievable amounts of money at a time when, you know, we're we're on the verge of, you know, uh, a depression, but it was still the roaring 20s. Sure. So, you know, there was still money to go around. And I just think that I don't know. I, I can't. I have a I have a hard time. I had to include that story because she's just so iconic in L.A. Yeah, and it needed to be talked about. But I I do in in a lot of ways do kind of feel sorry for her the way it ended up uh, because I don't think she I don't think she meant to 
I think she really believed what she was doing was right, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and I, you know, she, I think she really believed she was healing people. Yeah. And I think she had a lot of people around her that were manipulating her. Okay. And, um, and manipulating her beliefs and manipulating, you know, what she thought was going on with a lot of things. I don't, I mean, it's a, it's a complicated story. But okay. That's fair. Anyway. Um, but it's, it is an interesting one and I couldn't, I couldn't not include it. No, that's so. fair. No, you know, just the fact that she wasn't fucking little kids, like I'm, I'm happy for her, <laughs> right, like as a exactly, cult leader. Yes. So that's great. Yes. Uh, hurting people. What is, know. what is second all? Uh, it's a, um, it's a, um, um, my mind just oh, blank. On the it's, spot. it's um it's an anti-anxiety medicine of the time. Okay. Um, like a, a, a tranquilizer. Oh. Yeah, like, it, like I, think, I think I think like I th- I want to say that uh, Marilyn Monroe was on second all maybe too. Probably. And maybe that's what she died from. I, I can't remember. I figured I could Google it, but I didn't know if you had something you yeah, wanted to talk no, about. It. No, not really. It's just one of those th- one of those drugs that you see pop up. You know, around the, that time, mid nineteenth, you know, twentieth century. Kind got of thing, it, got so. it. So it's rumored that uh, that she had a direct telephone line to the Angelus Temple. Uh, was buried with her in case she came back, so she could hit up her followers and be like, "Hey, you know, I'm ready to rock and roll." Uh, oh boy! All right, so that's going to end our part one of all these cults. Uh, so it is now time for our Ghostwriter segment. If you have a question or comment about the world of the macabre, you can email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast at gmail.com. This first email comes to us from Kathy. It is titled, Just Discovered Your Podcast, Awesome Sauce. It says, hello there, Troy and Cody. Just wanted to let you guys know that I recently found your podcast and I'm in love. And love is in all caps. Um, what caught me is season five of the Los Angeles series. I grew up in San Diego and Los Angeles was always in our backyard, making free- frequent trips to the area like Hollywood, Disneyland, although in Orange County, and frequently visiting Santa Fe Springs for work. I have always been obsessed with old Hollywood, old movies, the unspoken truth and rumors of Hollywood's yesteryear. Your podcast is spot on, well written, well written and narrated. Sorry, I'm like squinting at that. I'm just getting so old. Uh, thoroughly enjoying and digging into uh, season four right now. Thank you for your talents. I look forward to many more episodes and seasons. Well, thank you, Kathy. That's very nice. Yes. And this other message that we got is from Tracy. It says, I have a quick question. Have you guys ever thought about making American Hornings dog collars and leashes? Because if you did and you had them, I, I, if you made them, I'd buy them for my dog. Oh, Thanks, you mean Tracy. for your dog? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I don't, off. So she, she does say for her dog. Okay. I won't kink shame anybody if they're not for the dog, but uh, that's a good question. So basically, people ask me about different products and stuff all the mm-hmm. time. Um at the, at the moment, I'm pretty much limited by the services that we use as sure. to what products we can make. But I've been looking into other things. Uh, Teespring's been one that Troy sent me a couple times. And um, we're looking into different ways to make different things. But if you guys have ideas for, like, shit you would buy or, like, you actually <laughs> want, I mean, please send me an email, AmericanHauntingsPodcastGmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. If there's something you want, let me know. And if I can make it happen easily, I will. Like, why not? Sure. Um, and then I just wanted to give a couple shout outs to some of our new Patreon subscribers. So thank you very much for supporting the show. Robert, Sabrina, and Elise. We couldn't do what we do without all of you. So thank you so much for supporting the show and uh, making it sound better than season one. Lisa's here (laughs) with some high noons. Uh, That's all I got, dude. All right. Well, sounds good. So Anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, letting me go off on a couple of tangents there. On, oh, just uh, just you wait. Stuff, but yeah. Sorry, so, but um, anyway, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning in again. Troy um, cried, Lisa. Do, <laughs> get 
Come on. <laughs> do leave us some. Yeah. Do leave us some reviews. Uh, I know Cody said that he doesn't care, but uh, it does. Well, yeah, but people are able to find the show if we leave reviews. I know. So please leave help. reviews. Um, so please do that if for no other reason, at least do that for us. So uh, anyway, uh, I guess that's it for me. And since I'm not going to do any clips from Orson Welles this week. Can we just not do the ending? Yeah, we're just going to end the show by saying that this episode of the American Hauntings podcast is written hey, by well, Troy Taylor and is okay, produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. If you're not a regular listener of the podcast, we hope you'll check it out on a bi-weekly dose of history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere you listen to your favorite shows. See the website at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com for more info about the you show, notes, how photos, you links, are and because more. Because the Wi-Fi is If you off. are a regular listener, we hope you'll take the time to review us on the and Apple I Podcast app and share the show with Orson your friends, Wells neighbors, relatives, Wi-Fi. people you pass on the street, whomever we couldn't and Maybe wouldn't I do the show I, without I just do, you. Can I do, if you're a fan, then about, you also know that American Hauntings is Orson not Wells. just the podcast. It's books, tours, events, Troy's comedy albums, and more. We, and our main <laughs> website is AmericanHauntings.net. We will record no podcasts before For th- their time. those of you who write to us and tell us you wish we posted shows more often, well, you can have fresh content if you support the show on Patreon. That's not the only perk that you'll get either. There are discounts, shirts, Orson Welles impressions. Stuff in the mail, all kinds of things. For those who don't understand how important our Patreon is to us, go back and listen to the first season of the show. Yeah, that's right. Patreon is what made it all get better. It wasn't my blood, sweat, and tears. So check it all out at patreon.com slash American Hauntings. And if you have any comments about the show, suggestions, reviews, jokes, or just want to tell us what you really think of us, God damn it. We're reachable via email on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook messages, and a bottle carrier pigeon and telegram. Gonna sit in this. The most be the best. And they take I hope this gets taken down by some weird copyright shit. DCMA. Uh, it won't. It won't. Until next time. I won't sign off until it's time. Until next time. Goodbye. So long. See you later. <sighs> We're gonna get sued by no, Orson Welles lawyers. You're. You're gonna have to. Orson Welles <laughs> lawyers. Yeah.